0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 135 of Connectivity. I'm Scott Thompson. We've got two regular segments for you this week and then a bonus segment. Kicking the show off, myself and Alex sit down to discuss uh, the last week or two weeks' uh, biggest news stories, including Nintendo's E3 plans and the Smash Brothers tournament. And then after that, uh, Addison, Don, and Alex talk about games they have been playing. Uh, That includes Kirby Triple Deluxe, Templeman 3, Mario Kart 8, and more. And then, after the outro, we have a bonus segment all about Godzilla. Enjoy.
1: Hey, everybody, and welcome to a brand new segment of Nintendo World Report Connectivity. I will be your host for this segment, Alex Kulafi, and joining me is Connectivity newcomer, Scott Thompson. (laughs) Good one. Hello! Hi. Uh, This is going to be a rather typical news segment. We do have interesting things to talk about. And at least one of our news stories, our leading news story, should at least be uh, a good appetizer for our E3 Prediction segment, which should run next week. And otherwise, we got five stories. I don't know. See, here's the thing about this week. We got two big stories. We're going to go into it. We're going to see what we have left. First up. E3 presentations have been announced, not necessarily the press conferences, but Nintendo's usually day of press conference, uh, little developer presentation, And there are two. Uh, one is going to be on the Tuesday of E3, and the other one will be Wednesday. The Tuesday one will be June 10th, with Super uh, Smash Bros. Mastermind, Masahiro Sakurai. And he is expected to be on hand to talk about the games for an hour and a half. The other one will be held on Wednesday, June 11th at 6 p.m. Talking about a mystery 3DS game that sounds like it hasn't been announced up until now. So I ask you, Scott, what kind of unannounced 3DS game could merit 90 minutes of presentation?
0: Right. I mean, it's... It's going to have to be like Mario or Zelda, right? I mean, what else? I know a lot of people were thinking like Metroid immediately, but I really don't think I I don't think they would spend 90 minutes on a on a Metroid game. Um this is going to be like a marquee 3DS title, and so I think it it's got to be one of their bigger uh bigger franchises, and those two are the the only ones that jump out to me.
1: Well, see, there's a couple ways to look at this. The first way a lot of people are choosing to look at this is what would I, or not strictly I, but what would we the fans really want? And when you think of that, you think of Metroid as the biggest uh not-represented franchise on this Nintendo handheld so far. That is that is pretty much the go-to. And then there's like, uh, maybe it'll be, I don't know, Majora's Mask 3D. The other way to look at this is... Uh, From Nintendo's perspective, saying, what do we want people to be focused on for 90 minutes? What do we have to show off that will take 90 minutes and will be really cool, or we hope will be really cool? And the only thing that sounds like could be the case is, like, another Nintendo-land situation. Yeah. And I'm thinking, for this 90 minutes, it sounds like, if it's a previously unannounced game, it might be Metroid but it's probably going to be a new IP that they're banking a lot of hopes on.
0: (sighs) I mean, I can see that. I mean, you've got a point, I mean, to spend 90 minutes on it, unless they're just planning to have a lot of, like, Q&A session where you can just sort of uh, field questions. I mean, how do you really show one single game for 90 minutes um, (laughs) and and, and talk about it and have a lot to talk about? So you've got a point there that if it's a brand new idea, idea, brand new IP, uh, that warrants 90 minutes because you could spend, uh, I mean, probably half of that just building up to it and and talking about inspirations and, and what's going into it. Whereas I guess if it is a known quantity like a Zelda or a Mario, I mean, you can't really, I mean, we know what to expect out of those series, I guess.
1: Sure. Uh. So y- yeah, if it's uh if it's a Metroid, I'm sure they could squeeze something out. If it wasn't a previously announced game and it's Pokemon, they could probably squeeze something out. I think if it was to be a new IP. The two things I'm thinking of right now are two trademarks Nintendo has made for the system. The first is the Pokémon Fighters and Pokémon Tournament. And the other is Project Steam, S-T-E-A-M. that Strike Force Eliminating the Alien Menace or whatever. Uh Do you remember that trademark that came up a while ago?
0: Ah, uh, vaguely.
1: Basically it was just Nintendo made it. It seemed like it was for a video game, and we got the title out of it. So those are two things that we know Nintendo is probably working on. And like when you think of something like S Project Steam and you think of something like a strike team, and then you think of Poken like a like a new Pokemon IP, it sounds like these are cleverly uh not cleverly, but coincidentally, coming up around the time Nintendo is going to start talking about NFC, which includes the 3DS. So maybe there's a chance. Yeah, that, um, I mean,
0: that that's probably your the best, like, theory so far, I would say. I mean, because those are things we know, or at least have been rumored to exist, um, and now would be the time to talk about them.
1: But again, on the other hand, why would it just be for the 3DS version if that was the case? right. So it's it's I the reason I'm throwing all this stuff out there is I'm just throwing out all the theories that probably exist. I don't have a best guess other than the fact that if I was Nintendo, I would want to use 90 minutes on a new IP more than I would on Metroid, because Metroid it's it's Metroid is only going to be so much. Star Fox is only going to be so much. It's a Pokemon even though they did the X and Y thing last year they don't really need 90 minutes to do what they want to do. What they would need those 90 minutes for uh, would be something like a new IP to show it off for the first time. So I, I don't have any guess as to what the new IP specifically is, but my best guess right now is that it is a game from a franchise we have not seen before.
0: Well, the weirdest thing is that it's... this is it's, They're already saying it's specifically just about 3DS and that it's like it sounds like it's a single game for the 3DS because, like you mentioned, I mean... If they hadn't said that, if we had been thinking it was for you know, the Wii U and the three D S, something involving the you know, the uh NFC. NFC figures would make total sense. Um or even the the whole quality of life thing that they kinda hinted at uh in January with the uh investors briefing and stuff like that. But to say it's specifically one game for the three D S it kinda it kinda limits that. Sure. Um, so no, I'm totally interested though. I mean this is probably one of the more exciting things, uh you know, to, uh, about E3 this year.
1: Uh, we should at least spend a minute
0: talking about this other
1: Super Smash Bros. presentation, which is probably going to be what uh, what Pokemon was last year. Basically, they have the developers, at least Sakurai on stage, to talk about the games, to uh, to maybe reveal a few new things. And to talk about the games in a way, <coughs> a lot of people have not seen up until that point. So... I uh I don't know what I'm what we're gonna get. I think we're going to learn more about the features. I think we're going to learn more about what the single player actually is because I don't think that uh that Kirby Air Ride mode is going to be it. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm more worried about slash interested in is that by the end of E3 we might have seen all but like three or four of the characters on the character selection roster. 'Cause it sounds it seems like there's not gonna be forty or fifty, based on the way uh Sakurai has been talking up this game since we knew it existed. Uh well maybe forty, but forty at the absolute most. And now we already have twenty-nine characters revealed. So I am uh I'm a little cautious that maybe for this game characters are going to be revealed a bit freely, and maybe there won't be that much to actually look forward to character-wise by the time the game's actually come out.
0: I mean, there'll at least be one kind of like ultra-secret secret character, kind of like Rob back in the day, um, you know, that we have no idea about. But I was talking about we kept, with Neil last week uh, during our, the Mario Kart segment about unlockable characters and stuff. And I'm okay if they reveal every character, as long as that means all these characters are going to be available from the start. Um... Last week we kind of talked about Sonic and Snake and how prevalent they were sort of in the marketing and the build-up to um, to Brawl. And then you still have to unlock them and spend time to actually get those characters. And so if they want to show off all these characters, great. But have them available from the start because you've already ruined the surprise. So now don't make me have to, like, play the game for 10 hours straight or, you know, meet some... some Obscure hurdle uh, to unlock these characters. You know, if you're gonna eliminate the surprise, then just give them to me. You know, when I put the game in. That that's my feeling on it. Now, if they want to have secret characters that they're not gonna reveal at all until the game comes out, uh, then great, have those be unlockables. But don't don't make me like play for 15 hours to get Charizard. Like don't don't play me Nintendo.
1: <laughs> it it just seems like Nintendo is spoiling all their games now. Cause, cause we we knew all of the characters in. Uh... Mario 3D World, before it came out. We knew Even, all 30 did characters... They, did
0: they announce Rosalina?
1: Yes, they... Well, in that direct, that, uh... Yeah. Yeah, that whole direct I guess thing. you're right. And yeah. then they, they revealed 40 of the 70 new Pokemon in Pokemon X and Y. hmm They, uh... In Mario Kart, they revealed literally all 30 of the characters. And now Smash Bros. Potentially three months before one version of the game comes out, we probably know all but 10 of the characters in the game.
0: I wonder like how much they've looked at this and just sort of analyzed I mean, given the internet and Twitter and everything, uh NeoGAF, have have they analyzed it and kind of looked at well how long do these things stay secret? And is it better to leave them secret as a carrot on a stick, even though they get they're gonna get revealed by other sources immediately? Or is it better just to reveal them ahead of time and build hype and get people engaged that way? And I almost think they're they're going with the latter there. I think they've looked at it and thought, well, Everyone's going to find out about this stuff immediately when the game comes out anyway, so we might as well, like, get people excited ahead of time. That sounds like for you, Alex, maybe that's not working so much.
1: It seems like they're saying, uh, we want to make the most money, fuck the hype, and then, just, it seems like, it seems like they're choosing marketing over their fans in any capacity being that surprised. It seems like all that's really going to be left by the time Smash Bros. comes out, might just be the mechanics and actually playing it. And I'm not saying that's not big, but it's a lot smaller than it would have been when Brawl came out. Mm-hmm. And granted, you're right, we will know the character select screen two weeks before the game actually comes out.
0: Well, exactly, yeah, because someone will have a review copy, and then you're going to just be scrolling through Twitter, and then bam, in, in your feed will just be a picture of the full character screen. You go, well, I guess I know everything now.
1: And the, but at the same time, is that an excuse? For what might be eighty percent of the audience, who doesn't know this stuff two weeks before it comes out, uh, mm-hmm. people who might not use the internet in the same capacity us two do. Yeah. Uh, I I just I like surprises in my games, and in fact, I would say surprises are one of the most appealing things, and one one of the things that actually gets me to buy a game day one. Because a lot of the ways Nintendo are revealing their uh, their spoilers. You know what, at this point, we're just going to talk about Wi-Fi after this, the other stories don't matter. (laughs) Uh, Basically, at this point, the way Nintendo is doing spoilers, it feels a lot like how Steam does Early Access. How you're going to see a little bit of the game more each time, up until it's finally released. And yes, you can finally see the game in full the way it's supposed to be experienced, but by that point, if you're an early access uh, purchaser, you already know probably everything that's in the game before you even touch 1.0. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's almost like movie trailers at this point. Like, I, I don't know if you listen to the Geek Box. I, I really like the Geek Geek uh, Box podcast. But one of the hosts on there, Ryan Higgins, he always says that when it comes to movies he's excited about, he'll watch the like initial reveal trailer. But then, and I think maybe he'll watch one more trailer, but as it gets close to release, he stops watching the trailers, because they start showing more and more scenes from the movie, and you can start to kind of piece together what's happening. And he wants to be as unspoiled as possible, and I wonder if we've gotten to that point where it's like, okay, you can watch the initial, like, revealed E3 uh, of a game, but you don't want to watch the, like, two-month-out Nintendo Direct about the game, because that's when the most stuff is going to start to come out. And like, I wonder if we've hit that point. I don't, like, I kind—I of, feel like that's what you're saying here. Like, you almost don't want to be locked into everything Nintendo's revealing because it <laughs> seems like they're revealing practically everything.
1: I—I I guess I'm not part of the uh, the movie alternative to what we do with video games. Like that sort of press.
0: It's not a perfect analog side right. of
1: it. It's yeah. Like I, most of that stuff is like starting to shift over to YouTube in the same way games are. But uh, just I—I I don't have a direct knowledge of what the movie version of video game press and Twitter is like, but it's so pervasive in video games. Basically, by saying I will not be spoiled, you're saying that I will avoid looking at, uh, maybe in my case, the NWR email for two weeks before the game comes out. I will avoid uh, going on Twitter in any major capacity, two weeks before the game comes out. In all fairness, that is absolutely my fault, in the fact that, oh, I I don't have to have chosen to write about games in the first place. I didn't have to to choose to be involved on social media in the first place. But on the other hand, it kind of sucks as a fan that uh, I don't get to be surprised, especially with the way Nintendo has been revealing stuff for the past couple years.
0: Yeah. No, I agree with you. I mean, it, it's not just Nintendo. I feel like it, it's pretty pervasive through all of video games. But I do, I really do think that it's a calculated move by Nintendo to just get these things out themselves, uh, and have it like control the message and just kind of build up hype rather than just have it come out randomly through some other source, like you're saying, like weeks before the game comes out. Because I think that's what's guaranteed to happen. So, um, you know, it's it's just it's just one approach, and it's probably not perfect. And I agree with you. I mean, I like surprise. Um, you know, all this, the Smash Brothers specifically, even Mario Kart when I was talking with Neil, I mean, I think I would have been so stoked to play Mario Kart and then unlock like the baby characters, uh, or the Koopa, the Koopa Kids, you know, like stuff like that. Um, but it's just like, well, no, we know all of that immediately. Um, and in fact, Neil said there were no secret characters, unlockable characters that we don't already know about. Um, there's one like thing you unlock and, but he said it was stupid anyway, and it's not a character um that's the only thing we didn't know about going into the game but every character we knew about so yeah i think that's just their their approach now um for you know for better or worse
1: i don't know i think part of that nintendo magic uh is discovery and not not just with the mechanics but also with the content but We have been talking about this topic a little too long. (laughs) So, let's move on to our next and potentially final story, depending on how we do for time. Nintendo Wi-Fi Connection, as of yesterday, uh, we're recording on Wednesday. So, as of Tuesday, this week, it seems like Nintendo Wi-Fi Connection, for so many games, does not exist anymore because it was powered by GameSpy, which is now offline. And I think
0: that's the important thing that a lot of people are sort of missing. I think people think this is like a conscious decision by Nintendo. They're just shutting it down themselves. Um, And while I guess they could have made the effort to like migrate the servers to somewhere else. um, It wouldn't have been worth it. It it wouldn't have been worth it. No. But this isn't, yeah, this isn't like Nintendo's decision. GameSpy is shutting down. Other companies are affected by this. I think what there's a handful of EA games that are powered by GameSpy that won't work online anymore. Um, So... Yeah, that's just that's just what happens. But yeah, uh, DS and Nintendo Wii games, you can no longer play online.
1: I, I just remember reading Nintendo Power and uh, seeing them pipe up Tony Hawk Skateland and Mario Kart and Animal Crossing Wild World for using this revolutionary uh, new way of connecting online. And I'll say, uh, having a uh, handheld connected online in some full capacity in 2005 was a big-ass deal.
0: Oh yeah, I'll agree with that. Like I, I mean sitting in my room and playing Tetris online against people pretty much blew my mind, uh in, in well I guess that came out in two thousand yeah, I think it's two thousand five, right? That was one of the first two uh online DS games, wasn't it? It was that and it was Tony Hawk, right?
1: Yep. I, I think the I think yeah, Mario Kart, Tony Hawk and Animal Crossing were at least the big three. Yeah. Uh, from the get go. Yeah, it's it's just like I I guess you can look back on it now and uh hindsight is twenty twenty. Uh, maybe it was, it is, maybe it is so backwards and not that great by today's standards, because Wi-Fi connection kind of stayed the same with friend codes up until 3DS, while everything else evolved. But, there's something to be said about just how fun it was at the time. Just like, even Mario Kart DS had pretty good online for its time. Like, it was at least mostly stable. You could at least get into games with your friends. And Animal Crossing, I mean, that was fun even after uh, Wi-Fi kind of became a little obsolete. Nintendo Mm -hmm. Wi-Fi. I don't know. I'll have a few good memories. I won't be devastated because it's being replaced by much better online infrastructures. Oh, yeah. But it, it it's a fun thing to look back on at least. Well,
0: I th- I think it's kind of like like a a double sided coin here where I think on the DS it was pretty impressive technology. Um, you know, Prime Hunters I think was another really good Metroid Prime Hunters was another really good um online game even if you know I would rather play an actual Metroid game. But for what it was, it was good. Uh, but on the Wii, I think that's where you have a lot of issue. Um, with the Smash Nintendo Bros. Wi-Fi connection, Smash Brothers was terrible, terrible. Oh man, like I was so excited to get that and play with one friend locally, like, and then play against two other people online and do like two v two matches. Cause at the time, I was completely into playing like Halo Two and Halo Three that way, um, and loved and loved the, those sort of small matches. And I thought, man, we're gonna be able to do this with Smash Brothers, and it just never, ever worked. Um, yeah, people are getting was-
1: excited for the new Smash Bros. just on the fact that it will allegedly have good online.
0: It's so scary, though, that in that direct, um, Sakurai was basically like, you know, make sure you've got the best connection you can. Make sure you get the, the Wii LAN adapter and all this kind of stuff. And that was
1: for the 3DS, I think, right? Specifically, he was
0: ah uh, Maybe, hopefully. The 3DS, you're probably, you're probably he sounded right. a
1: little, uh, he was doing some extra padding on. But I guess the so. Wii U one, it sounded like he at least had some confidence in, which was
0: good. well. Let's hope so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Smash Brothers that Mario Kart actually worked okay. Well,
1: yeah, Mario Kart's been good with online yeah. since it's existed.
0: Yeah. Um. But yeah, just just I think Smash Brothers because that was probably, I mean, one of the Wii's biggest games, and that online was just such a disaster that I think it. I think that has set Nintendo back um for a long time, and that they've sort of lived. With that uh, that infamous legacy, and I think it's kind of plagued their online infrastructure since, especially since they don't really try very much with online, um, you know, with their first party properties. So I th- I think I don't know it's just been bad, and I think Nintendo Wi-Fi connection is a big part of that. Um, but like you said, things are better, and I think things will be better at Smash Brothers, uh, and then uh, Mario Kart, I think too will we'll kind of prove that they've they've resolved these issues and that you can enjoyably put your games online on a Nintendo console.
1: At the very minimum, one thing you can take away from this in a very positive way is that the age of friend codes is slowly but surely dying. Yeah,
0: yeah, if the 3DS could just get rid of it. I, I'm still kind of bummed that now that you have your Nintendo ID linked to your 3DS, you still have to do friend codes which is kind of dumb,
1: but... By whatever next generation is, which hopefully will be sometime in the next four or three years, uh, hopefully it'll just be done with. Hopefully they will be at least closer to modern standards by how <laughs> online should work.
0: Well, I think so. I mean, the Wii U, I feel like, is there, right? I mean, you send friend requests, you you can see your friend, who's online on your friend list, you can do all that kind of stuff. I think the only thing that's probably missing is... is um, being able to friend people you've like recently played games with online, you know like on Xbox Live, like you could pretty much see a list of everyone you've recently played, whatever game you've played online um see everyone you've played with, and you could add them through that but I think you can add you can add people through like Miiverse and stuff, which is a pretty cool uh pretty cool thing and is surprising <laughs> given uh, friend codes and how protective they've been in the past, so I think they're there with the Wii u and I think the 3DS just unfortunately came out a few years before they were ready to, to kind of make that commitment.
1: It just seems like a matter of time. Nintendo is slowly joining the right side of history as yeah. far as online infrastructure
0: goes. Yeah, just took a little while. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so And then you had another story uh, that maybe this isn't the end of Nintendo Wi-Fi connection.
1: Yeah, so apparently it seems like hackers are making some sort of alternative, some open source alternative to the Wi-Fi connection, as in like they're starting to try to get their own servers going for DS and Wii. And that is a very good thing. But, it's not like you'll be able to turn on your games and just use the search function to look for a new
0: feature. Right, I mean, you would have have to hack your game, basically.
1: On the DS, you will need a flash cart, which, uh, if you don't know, is the fancy way to be able to get homebrew and pirate games if you are so inclined and on wii it will need to be homebrew ready which isn't that hard nowadays
0: wii's real easy
1: (laughs) and like it's a little you'll probably have a, a lighter conscience by hacking your wii because there are a lot of things that will open up as you hack your wii like uh region protection and homebrew like this and I, I think that's cool. It's good that people are trying to preserve the past and may, not making it so games or just any type of art form can just die forever, even in some small way. Like, mm-hmm. like it's good that people are future-proofing these games, even if it's just a little bit.
0: Yep. No, I agree. I know, too, there's been efforts made to um, be able to unlock uh, content in games, especially DS games that you had to like go online for. Um, like I'm, I'm specifically thinking about like the Professor Layton games. Mm-hmm. You know, they were like the daily puzzles that you would quote-unquote download, but really they were actually on the cart. They would just unlock basically when you when you checked in online. So I know people are, are trying to find workarounds for that to unlock all that content without having to use Nintendo Wi-Fi connection, since it's all already there on the uh, on the cart.
1: I remember Justin Barube uh, was he bought like ten copies of Picross DS recently just so he could download all the DLC?
0: Oh yeah, there you go.
1: It's, uh, <laughs> people are doing their uh, their best to try to protect the future. So we are at the twenty-five minute mark. Would you like to do another story, or should we call it quits?
0: Oh, we could do one more if you want. That's fine. Yeah. Uh,
1: how about this one at the bottom? This uh this one we were going to close it out with. We got the Super Smash Bros. Invitational. What Nintendo is using the Nokia Theater for instead of a press conference this year at E3. The details have been announced. So, as it turns out, it will be at... So, it's at Tuesday, June 10th. Most of it's going to be first come, first serve, but I'm sure the press is going to be able to get in. But if you're in the L.A. area... You can get in if you get there early enough. It is like I said, first come, first serve. You gotta show up at 9:30. If you get a wristband, you come back at 2:30 when the tournament starts. And Nintendo's handpicking about 16 people for this unannounced tournament. It's going to be streamed, like it sounds. It sounds like at least through Twitch and YouTube or through Twitch's E3 channel. And that's interesting. It seems like they're trying to bring back a little bit of the wizard.
0: <laughs> yeah, right? It does kind of evoke uh, feelings of that. What I find impressive is that we've gone in, what, two years from, like, Nintendo not allowing Smash Brothers, or almost not allowing Smash Brothers to be played at, was it Evo that they were, that they almost prevented it from? Um, or at least they were going to yeah. pre- prevent the stream of it, right? I think you could still. they were going to still let people play it, but not let it be streamed. Which um, I don't
1: think I don't know if they Evo would have been okay with, so I think it was all or nothing.
0: Right, and so they finally like acquiesced and, and let that happen. And now two years later, it's like, yeah, come on, we're gonna hold a a tournament for Smash Brothers at E3 and invite and invite like renowned uh competitive Smash Brothers players. Like I think they've made big strides, and the fact that they're even gonna stream it on Twitch uh, is so cool. And yeah, I, good for them. Like I I think that that's really smart. And if your hope is to try to like you know, increase the Wii U sales, which I think that's their hope. Um, appealing to this fighting crowd and showing off your game at the same time, I think is the way to do it. So I, this is really smart. I really, really like this.
1: Yeah, this is a really cool PR move, at least mm-hmm. on their part for this game, because it will, I think this is for the Wii U version of the game, uh, at least.
0: Oh, I would think, yeah, I don't. I would hope so. I don't want to watch the two hours of people playing that garbage garbage-looking 3DS game. <laughs> now, mind you, the 3DS game will probably be fine, but that's not... You don't want to watch that. <laughs> you
1: don't want to watch it on a stream blown no. up, and you especially don't want to watch it in a the theater blown no. up. No, Uh But the side of me who almost went to E3 this year and does want to go to E3 again at some point, I kind of wish they used this uh, theater time to do their press conference.
0: No, I know. Uh, you'd think there'd be a way that they could do both. I do agree that the... Uh, you know, sort of pre-recorded, um, conference isn't really as exciting, but given some of the hiccups they've had lately, I mean, <laughs> the Nintendo Land demo from, what, two years ago now, um, you know, what, the the rumor is that Retro was supposed to have, I guess Donkey Kong ready or something, but that fell through, so they had to do this, like, extended look at Nintendo Land, which was terrible, and then, um... There was what uh, the the Zelda demo at E3 I guess probably 2010 four years ago yeah so four years ago um, with Skyward Sword and the Wii Remote like wasn't functioning correctly so like Miyamoto couldn't accurately play the game I mean that was like a train wreck.
1: Well that specific moment was a train wreck but in all fairness if you remember E3 2010 where they had a GoldenEye Kid Icarus 3ds all those things. That was probably one of the better E3s Nintendo has ever had, oh, even yeah, press sure. conference-wise. Sure.
0: Oh, yeah. But, I mean, I understand their, their reasoning. I mean, they're like, well, we can still review all this stuff and make sure it's revealed how we want it revealed. I mean, it's the same as sort of, like, we've already talked about the, the revealing all the secret characters in games. I mean, they're, they're just trying to control the message as best as they can, and I, I can understand that. But it does sort of take away, I mean, there's something about it being live that just makes it kind of enjoyable.
1: Yeah, this is definitely coming around a time when a lot of publishers are not necessarily saying this, but at least asking the question, is E3 entirely worth it anymore? Because, I mean, Activision scaled back its press conference. It it cut that off a long time ago. Konami did at least 2011 to 2010 to replace it with their own Nintendo Direct type thing. Uh, And it seems like Nintendo is probably the first of the big three of at least this generation, like not counting Sega from way long ago, mm. to start to ask the same question. And I, I just wonder if E3 is slowly, uh, I, I think death is the wrong word for it, but slowly becoming less of a place where people need to bring their big guns. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think you can see signs of that. I mean, last year we had Sony held like a PS4 event, after E3, you know, some months after E3, and just did their own thing, and it felt almost like a live Nintendo Direct, you know, where they were. That's where they revealed everything about the PS4. I think that's maybe where they first showed the system. Maybe they showed E3, but I think it well, was at, they their own at that. They showed it that
1: February event, which was a press conference.
0: Oh, February. Okay, so it was before E3, but same thing. They they did all that before E3 rather than at E3. They same thing, kind of keep the spotlight on them, control the message, that kind of stuff. Um, so I get that, and I think I think you are going to see that um more and more. I mean we already see that. You know, it used to be that everything was saved for E3 and now I think between all three platforms you get a lot of reveals um just throughout the year. There there's no need to wait for the centralized conference anymore. Um I don't think that means E3 goes away, but maybe it does become less of a um I don't know, less less of a spotlight for like just fans of video games
1: you you got to ask definitely like why so many companies have been revealing these huge stories weeks ahead of E3 Nintendo specifically had Pokémon Ruby and Sapphire but then there's Microsoft with their Kinect stuff and Cry. Oh Ubisoft yeah that's for sure Far that Cry. would have like that
0: would have typically been an E3 thing like no way would they would Microsoft have announced something that big like at any point uh than E3
1: But then I was listening to the Bombcast this morning uh the newest this Tuesday bombcast, And they were talking about Far Cry 4. And uh, I'm just going to say what they said, but basically, Jeff Gerstmann was talking about that Far Cry 4, it was really good that Ubisoft revealed it uh, a couple weeks ahead of E3, because that game had at least a few days to shine by itself with all the attention on it. Maybe some of it was positive, maybe some of it was negative, Oh yeah. but that game got... An amount of attention that lasts at least as long as E3 did. If this was just revealed at the E3 press conference, it would have had the spotlight for 10 seconds until the next thing came up. Oh yeah. Uh, So I, I guess that's probably one of the best arguments I've heard for maybe E3 isn't that amazing for publishers, but I I just love watching press conferences so much. (laughs) Even if it's on a stream. The only one I've ever seen live is uh, the EA one at E3 last year. But those are just so fun. It's just so fun to see people live doing it uh, just at their very best. Just pulling out all the PR machines to try to impress us as hard as they can with as much money as they can possibly muster up. It's just so fun. It, it, It feels like a live show That's for actual entertainment purposes a lot of the time. And it's probably... It has always been my favorite thing of E3. Yeah. So, that will do it for this new segment. If you want to send some mail to us about E3, about video games, about Nintendo, about whatever you want, we are in, I would say, dire need of a lot of good (laughs) emails to talk about. Yeah. And if you send one that's even half-decent we can probably guarantee at least an 80% chance that uh, we'll read it at some point. (laughs)
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: So if you are interested in sending an email, uh, give it your best shot. We are connectivity at nintendoworldreport.com. On Twitter, Scott is at OKSoda, and I am at C-U-L-A-F-I-A, that is Kulafi-A. And that will do it for this segment, guys. Uh, Have a good day. Bye. Bye.
2: Hello everybody and welcome to a segment for connectivity. I am your host Dan Koopman. Wow, I never thought I would say that. Anyway, um, with me tonight are Alex Kalafi. Hey
1: everybody. Hey.
2: And we have Edison Webb. Howdy. Still so recovering from your last last week at the quiz. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so today we're just going to talk about video games and the games we have been playing recently, and um, Alex, why don't you start us off?
1: Sure, so uh, I'm going to
2: lead with something not traditionally Nintendo,
1: but hopefully we'll lead into a topic that everyone can enjoy. I have been playing the recently released God of War collection on PlayStation Vita, and the reason why I got it is because there was a Sony glitch on PlayStation Network, and there was this thing that if you download the hour-long basically trial demos for the God of War HD collection on PlayStation 3. Right. The cross-buy on PSN basically glitched, so if you download those two demos, you could download the full Vita game for free. Oh, wow. And it only it was only working for, obviously, like a couple hours. But I ended up getting in, I ended up getting this new $30 collection for free. So, what does this collection include? It includes uh, the first two games, console games in the God of War series. So it includes God of War 1, God of War 2. And the thing that's weird about this is that God of War is a trilogy and not like in the same sense where Hangover is just called a trilogy and those are just basically three movies that follow one another. The God of War series is one trilogy with three games that are directly connected by story. God of War 1 starts the story God of War 3 finishes it. So it's a little weird that this collection only includes the first game in the series and the second game in the series, which ends on a cliffhanger.
2: Right, yeah, totally. Uh,
1: But I personally am very much into these games. I enjoy A Bit of Gruesome and my video game play once in a while. And I think the original two God of War games, and I will even include the third one, Like I think that trilogy is classic. Uh, even if it's definitely not for everyone, some people dislike the violence, some people think it's mindless, whatever, I like the story, I like the gameplay, and whatnot. So, because of that, my feelings on this port are twofold. One side of me says that this is a pretty bad port. Uh, the games don't look as good as the PS2, and, uh, even if it looks a little better, it definitely... There's a reason why it's called the God of War Collection, and not the God of War HD collection. And even in spite of this, it still struggles to run at 30 frames per second. So there is uh some hitching up once in a while. And then there's just a bunch of weird other uh, things that are in the game. Like the trophies glitch out. So for a certain percentage of players, you just don't get trophies. Oh wow, that's terrible. <laughs> and uh, the cutscenes... So, if you've played any of these HD collections, you know that the cutscenes usually aren't really up-res uh, from the PS2 version, so it kind of looks like a 2005 CG cutscene, but it's even worse in this version, because there are actually black borders around it, and it doesn't even take up the full resolution of the Vita screen. So it's almost like those FMV cutscenes that are on the Sega CD, where it's just it's just a tiny black box that shows the cutscene, and then the gameplay awkwardly transitions out of it. Wow. So, it's not a great port. It's, it's, I'm not going to say it's unplayable. I'm playing the first God of War, and I'm still enjoying it, because at its core, it's a very good game. But that also brings me to the other side of this, where even if it's kind of a bad port, I have this weird video game fetish for playing handheld games that play exactly like console games, even if sometimes they are exactly console games. Which is why, like, there's that part of me that almost kind of wants to buy Borderlands 2, because that is a console-sized game on a portable handheld. And for some reason, there's something magical about that experience of playing something that right. I would have normally played on my TV in the, the palm of the, my hands.
2: The the thing is, I kind of had that with... um. Also, if Sonic All Stars Racing Transformed, I loved playing that on my Wii U. Mm-hmm. Um, the Vita version was also kind of busted in that fashion, where it really had some frame rate issues, and I think Borderlands 2 on Vita has that as well. Right. Um, so for me, it's kind of a trend with the Vita. Well, I like playing these very exp- expensive games on like that Vita screen. There are just really por- just ports out there. They just kind of make that redundant. Sure. Uh. Um. So I mostly I I I just mostly played original stuff. so admittedly, I just play. I paid for a copy of uh, Need for Speed. Most wanted on my Vita.
1: I did too for five dollars a few weeks ago. That's an uh, that's an okay game. I think that runs better than most of the other console oh, sized
2: games. Oh, definitely. That one's the best. I think. Though, and though with Also with Sonic Race formed. It is not as bad as the 3 DX version, luckily.
1: Right, <laughs> like, it's still definitely playable. All of these games that we're talking about are at least playable, even if they have some bad issues. Like, uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Like, I played Epic Mickey 2 in its entirety on the Vita, because not only is that, in a weird way, the best version of that game because the port team actually went and fixed a lot of the shit that was wrong with that game, Well, it was done by Sony themselves, so... I think it was done by a smaller team that was, like, probably contracted by Sony. But it it definitely had a layer of, uh, care there. But even though Epic Mickey 2 is a mediocre at best video game, the fact that I was playing a console game in its entirety on a handheld without any, uh... like, remote play magic, that was really cool. Uh, anyways. Have
3: you played the God of War collection on the PS3?
1: Yes, a long time ago. That was actually how I first played the first two God of War games, because even though I really like Sony, I never owned a PS2. Oh,
3: really? Huh. Well, I noticed, at least for me, that version was unplayable, because in the first game, I'll get to, like, I'd say about three hours into the game, and there was a game breaking glitch that i would oh, have to start the game over. Um,. It was basically, whenever I went into a room that I needed to go to to progress, it just blacked out. And even restarting didn't fix it. So, that was a pretty miserable experience for me. (laughs) So I went on to God of War 2, and that played okay, but...
1: Is that a widespread bug, or was it?
3: uh, It was probably just something wrong with my copy, but... Oh.
1: yeah, that's uh a... I am around three hours in, so uh, fingers crossed.
3: <laughs> well, I would hope they would fix such a big bug if they're going to re-release
1: the thing. So Yeah, it feels like they reported it, because this uh, it doesn't seem like the HD version. It seems like they took the PS2 versions and put them on Vita in some capacity.
2: By the way, I, ju- I just looked up randomly who developed the Vita version of Epic Mickey 2, uh-huh. because... Why not? Sure. Um, it it was done by a Blitz Game Studios. What did they do otherwise? They have done Shrek Alarm, uh, Puss and Boots, Michael Phelps' Push the Limit, Spongebob Surf and Skate Road Trip, Yoastar 2, The Biggest Loser video games. Uh, I could go on, but uh, this list makes me actually really depressed. So. You know
1: what? At least they did one not-the-worst-thing-I've-ever-seen type of thing under their belts. Uh, anyways, I got a, uh, my next game on my list is Soul Sacrifice Delta, the recently released, uh, I guess AAA in quotes, Vita game, and I just basically consider anything AAA that was developed uh, in-house and published mostly in-house, which it, I guess this basically was, and because Vita doesn't have anything like Tearaway or Killzone this year, uh Soul Sacrifice Delta is basically it. It is huh? It is uh done by Comcept, who are the guys working on Mighty Number no. Nine. And this is the re-release of last year's version. So this originally came out uh, in May of last year in North America. It was kind of like a monster hunter type game, except instead of hunting monsters. It's more just you going on story-based quests that are structured in the same way as Monster Hunter. And instead of it being slow Monster Hunter gameplay, it's faster gameplay. Like, it feels a lot more like a faster Dark Souls. So this is a re-release of that. But it's also more like an Ultimate Edition. Kind of like what they did with Dark Arisen Dragon's Dogma. uh, Like, last year. How it's basically the whole original game, but it comes with about 25% more content and that includes about a good chunk of story content after the original final boss that gives the story a more conclusive ending and gives you a new final boss. And the other big chunk of content is this new series of quests that instead of just being around these cool, kind of fucked-up monsters, now it's around monsters that are based on Grimm's fairy tales. So there's... uh, Instead of it being Red Riding Hood's grandma, they have their own take on Red Riding Hood's grandma, who's this powerful sorceress who turns into a gigantic, kind of fucked up monster. Oh, (laughs) lovely. And there's this, uh, not hidden, but kind of like extremely powerful Cinderella boss (coughs) that's not in the main story. That, kind of in a fucked up way, plays into the fetishism aspect of the entire Cinderella story. Uh, And then there's other bosses, like a version of Snow White where her face is a mirror. And a bunch of other crazy bosses. The game is very fun, I didn't play the original version even when it came out on PS Plus. I do kind of like these Monster Hunter type games, because they are well suited to handhelds, they're well suited to quick bursts of play. And I think the combat is really fun, even if the game dips into repetitive territory. I don't know. Because it's the big Vita game this year, and it's something I've been playing, I feel like it's worth a try, especially if you got it on PS Plus. And I got about 35 hours of good action RPG content out of it. So if you do have a Vita, and you have $35 lying around, even if you didn't get it on PS Plus, Soul Sacrifice Delta is a real good game. Lastly... Lastly, lastly, lastly. I have been playing Kirby Triple Deluxe thanks to Gamefly. Uh, I, the only reason why I'm bringing that up is because I haven't used Gamefly in a long time. And they send me these periodic emails offering me like a free month of getting two game rentals at a time for a dollar as my first month. And I always just cancel it at the end of that month whenever they send me those emails. So I ended up playing uh, Kirby and Mario Golf this month, out out of the deal, which is really good. Kirby's a weird game. I mean, the Kirby series have never really gotten along. I acknowledge its quality, but uh, usually the type of games I like are either easy and really fast, kind of like the God of War games, or deliberate, slow, and really hard, like the Dark Souls games. And Kirby is different in the sense that it is both really slow and really easy, and part of that is because it is kind of a game made directly for children, which—and I don't mean that in a derogatory way—it is actually a game made for children. Uh, it, it just doesn't quite match up to my personal taste because it's—I uh, can do slow and fast, slow and hard. I can do easy and fast, but slow and easy, I just can't do it.
2: Yeah, I I really love that game, and I I, I said it on Twitter uh, a while back. I am the Kirby Triple Deluxe apologist. Uh, what do you have I, to
1: apologize for? A lot of people seem to like it.
2: Well, yeah, there's there a lot of people seem to like it, but I liked it very very much to the point where it's a bit silly. Um, the the thing is with Kirby Triple Deluxe, many people say it's slow. I don't think think it really is. I mean. I never had a problem with the slowness, and i don't seem don't seem to quite get why that is,
1: so I don't think it's slow compared to other Kirby games like I've played Return to Dreamland, I've played Epic yarn even though that's not quite uh, entirely comparable, even though the structure is somewhat similar and it lines up with those games, but if you're like me, if you kinda like the new Super Mario Bros games, if you kinda like the Rayman games. And you kind of like those platformers where you're in and out in about a few minutes each level. And you don't have to worry about collecting everything or exploring every single door necessarily. Uh, Kirby doesn't quite line up with that mindset. And I'm I'm only starting to realize that fully now, after playing so many games in the series. And that's not necessarily a knock against Kirby. I understand why people love it. I... I don't think it's a bad game, and I don't think it's a bad series. In fact, I think this is probably one of the better games in the series from the ones I've played. It's just, as I keep playing these games, and I keep falling short of, uh. Okay, in so, love
2: with it. I'm gonna ask you, like, a couple of questions. I'm not gonna go too deep into this because that would be kinda spoiler territory. But have you finished the campaign? Well, I, I didn't, like, do all the. E- There's
1: extra stuff after the main credits. I've seen the credits once. I've played through the base game and saw the credits.
2: So, have you played through DDD's Quest yet?
1: Uh, the follow-up to wait the rhythm game or the follow-up to the main game? The Follow-up to the main game. I only tried it. I know what what's at the end of it, and I saw that on YouTube, and that looks pretty cool. And I like DDD's mechanics, but yeah, uh, he's 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 a,
2: that's a way tougher campaign.
1: But it's. It's not quite even just the difficulty. Like I yes, you do solve a problem by making it more challenging. But I I just think the way Kirby moves, the way he's so plotting and the way he's so uh just just well, he's floaty by nature, but he he makes like little big planet physics look like new super mario bros in a way. And that just, I don't think that will ever line up with the way I play video games.
2: But um, Bobby, we don't agree on how we, much we love the game. You can at least say, that presentation is real damn good, right?
1: I Every few months, I keep having to say, this is one of the best looking games on 3DS. I said that about the Pokedex 3D app. I said that about the Phoenix Wright game. I said that about... Uh, some of the battles in Pokémon X and Y, and I'm gonna have to say it again about uh, Kirby Triple Deluxe, because even on the XL blown up, that is one pretty looking game.
2: Heck yeah, it is. I I, I still think that's the best looking 3DS game since I played it in January. Um, nothing has come close. Even and Mario Golf has still like a rough few edges, and it's the last 3DS, big 3DS game I've played, and the game I'm growing into is also a bit older than that, so this was actually the most, like, shining example of how, like, a game can look in 3D, like, really well. Yeah, and, uh, like, I've talked with Scott a few times about this, and
1: he at least seems to be under the impression to some extent that maybe Nintendo is starting to back away from the 3D concept uh, at least a little bit, and I'm always saying, you know what, I think Nintendo's in this for the long haul. And... Kirby Triple Deluxe shows me that at least some developers do really care about the 3D, and Nintendo isn't slowly backing away for it in preparation of uh, the next handheld, which might not include 3D. Someone's still trying to make 3D games work on that system, and making 3D games work on that system, and that makes me really happy.
2: And for Hal just needed like an extra couple of years to really fulfill that promise. Yeah. Um. I mean, the only thing thing else they made on 3ds was I think, I think they were involved with Face Raiders. That that um, sounds right. I think. Yeah. So they had a long long time to think about what they could actually do with the 3ds, and I think in that fashion, they really solved that those problems really well.
1: Uh, I guess before we move on, Addison, you've been playing this too, right?
3: Yes, I've gotten to like the third world,
1: I think third or fourth and uh, how are you feeling about the game so far?
3: Well I'm a huge Kirby fan. Um, Dreamland for the Game Boy was one of my first video games ever that I ever owned, and I played the crap out of that game going on road trips when I was a kid. So the nostalgia factor definitely plays into how I feel about the game, but I really do love it. I think it, I definitely think it is the best looking game on the 3DS. It's one of the few games that I actually can tolerate, the 3D being on. For some reason, my eyes can't really take it too long, but with Kirby Triple Deluxe, I guess it just works so well that it doesn't seem to bother me too much. Uh, I play a little bit of, I don't know how much you've done, of the DDD Rhythm Game and Kirby Fighters, but I've actually enjoyed those a good yeah, amount, too. Yeah, the fighter too.
2: game is real good. Yeah, the, fi- the fighter game is awesome. Um, that gets pretty tricky, though, especially when you go to the harder difficulty.
3: Um, but, it's kind of one of those things, it's like a relaxing game, like, it's when you want to sit down and play something, but you don't want to get into something too serious. It kind of reminds me of Yoshi's New Island, in that sense, but I think this game is a lot more fun and interesting You can say than better. Yoshi's New Island. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is a way, in fact... Bring on the
3: hate mail. It, yeah, it is Sleeps and Bounds better.
1: This does a lot of what Yoshi's New Island does, but it does it so much better than Yoshi's New Island did. Like, you can tell the clear difference in ability between Arzest and uh, Hal. Right. Here,
2: for me, the weird, the weird thing is that I played Kirby first, so for me, going to, to Yoshi it was kind of like, oh, okay. Oh.
1: <laughs> Just a little groan. It yeah. kind
3: of hits the same demographic. It's a game for younger kids, but... I think Kirby just has a little more meat to it, a little more to offer.
2: Yeah, sure. I think that's more for in that sense, for sure. It's in the bosses, I think.
1: It's, uh, I think the bosses demonstrates the biggest difference between Kirby Triple Deluxe and Yoshi's New Island. I will say, regardless of what I have to say about the game in general, those are some really good bosses. The bosses have a lot of care into them. The bosses are better than any of the new Super Mario Bros. Games have ever uh, had. Those, definitely.
2: those, those updated versions in the DDD one and the Arenas, they get really, really tough. I, I, I have the Japanese version now for months now. I still haven't finished the real true Arena in that game. It's really, really hard. Oh, all right, that, that's all I got. So okay, let's go to um, Mr. Edison Webb. Sure.
3: So I've been playing. Dempaman 3 for review for the site. And I don't know if either of y'all played any of the games in that series. I
2: actually played Dempaman 3 for a review in Nintendo 4. So.
3: Ooh. Okay. Interesting. Should make it good. Well, I've only played the demo of the previous games t- up to this point, And then I got the review copy for this. And it's been a struggle getting through it. I. There's a lot of things I do like about it, and it seems like everything's there for it to be good, but the way I play through RPGs and what I want out of an RPG is really the story, and you're not going to find that in Dempaman.
2: Yeah, that's kind of the, 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 the one of the smaller craps I have, because I actually really like the game, but um, the story is not as upfront as like the, the other two were. And it, it feels like you're, you're you're trying to save this this friend called Crystal. It feels a bit weird in that sense.
3: Mhm. Yeah, it's just it's not a very epic quest that you're going on. And because in the
2: second game, to comparison, you actually have to save your entire family because they were kidnapped. Were kidnapped, so that was way more interesting.
3: A little darker there, yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't stand the battle system in that game. The, even the battles just like walking around the world, they take forever because once you get into the meat of the game, you can have eight Dempamen in your party, and their attacks don't do a whole lot of damage, and a lot of time you're healing, you kind of choose. It's kind of like Final Fantasy XIII in a way that you can do the battle system, because you kind of have preset battle like ideas that you can choose from, and they can do those, or you can actually go in and tell them which moves to do. But for me, it's pretty much been using the let them use their magic attacks and just kind of pressing the button over and over again. So I haven't really enjoyed the battles that much. And because their attacks do so little damage and they're doing so much healing, it just seems like the battles take forever. So getting through dungeons, traversing the world just seems painful to me. I actually fell asleep while playing this game. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Like, literally, I was... In a battle just pressing Y over and over again. And then I woke up later. And I was still in that same battle. But. And a lot of it seems kind of fetch questy. It seems like there's a lot of padding. Because. What's impressive about this game. Is it kind of. Gives you the. Big. RPG experience. Out of an eShop title. And I think a lot of people are really impressed by that. But I think it tries too hard sometimes. Because there seems to be a lot of padding. Like when you have to get the ferries so you can go into the dark dungeon. You are just like traversing this continent over and over again. You know what part I'm talking about? Right. And it's just kinda like it took me like two hours because I kept getting in all these fights and now was when I was falling asleep, but so
2: I actually again I really I really like that game. I, I can I bet I can totally see where you're coming from. It it doesn't really invite newcomers to that series if you haven't played the games before
3: sure and that I mean that probably plays a lot into it but it is really feature-packed that's one thing I have noticed there's an online battle mode I haven't got a chance to try that out yet but it does a lot of cool things you can import your hero from one of the previous games and use him in your party Um, and there's a bunch of different like side quest type things where it's almost just too much to do. It's a little overwhelming, in a way.
2: I like to do the fishing stuff, because it earns you, like, good amounts of money if you do it just right.
3: But then there's also, like, planting and all that stuff, and one thing, too, is it can get pretty brutal. I know in the second dungeon, I got to the boss, and then died, and I had to go through the entire dungeon again, and what's annoying is when you lose your whole party, what the The game sends you into this little um, AR level where you actually have to hold up your DS and catch the Dempahmen. They're just kind of floating around. And that kind of gets annoying because whenever you lose your party, you have to go
2: back and recapture them. Uh, but But I actually do, and this is very simple. Just before you seem to lose the battle, turn off your 3DS and start it again like restart the 3DS. Yeah.
1: That sounds like a shitty uh game design thing.
2: Well, no no no, it's the actual mechanic of being careful with your resources and seeing how you manage it well. If you if you don't play the game right and again, this is why I mean it's not very inviting. If you don't know how to play the game and how, and how to do the the meta game justice of the Damperman, you're kind of screwed.
1: How long are these dungeons that you have to restart from the very beginning?
3: It depends on how many battles you get into, because what's typical? They're
1: long. Well, um, what's typical and what's the most? I
3: mean, I probably have 45 minutes to an hour in it, so it wasn't too terrible. But when I'm trying to get it done for review, it's just kind of.
2: But you you can you can save most of the time as well, so that helps. Yeah. It, uh. Yeah. You so you can
1: save and uh, try to prevent some of that time you're lost in that's lost in the dungeons? Right, yeah. Okay. And Yeah, have fortunately you been,
3: I didn't do that. <laughs>
1: uh, maybe you should. It's a, yeah, I, I'll I'm do that just, from now on. I'm just imagining this situation where you have to go into these repetitive dungeons for 45 minutes, and then you make one mistake, and then you have to do the same repetitive dungeon for 45 minutes. It sounds a lot like the tougher parts of Pokemon Mystery Dungeon. From, yeah,
3: it's from not a, too fun. Yeah, it is kind of rogue in that, especially when you lose all your characters. You don't really lose anything forever, but you have to go back and catch them again. It's just kind of a time sink.
2: Again, it's all about managing resources, and that's won't be for everybody. I totally get that. Um, what else have you have been playing then?
3: Um, I've also been playing a mobile game, but before everybody fast forwards because I'm playing a mobile game. It is one that is coming out for Wii U at the end of the year, I believe. And it's, it'll do. It's a. Actually,
2: actually it's not a mobile game. That was originally released on Steam.
1: Yeah, I think it was a PC first.
3: Oh, yeah. okay. Well, I'm playing it actually on the Nvidia Shield, which is oh. an Android platform. So. I picked it up off the Google Play Store. It was $5. And I am really enjoying it It's kind of a parody of the Legend of Zelda series And I've expressed my undying love for the Legend of Zelda series on this podcast before And it's just kind of making fun of that But in a very like respectful way Where you know that those guys just like love the crap out of the Link to the Past And the first game It just has a lot of feeling to the, of the first game to it But does some funny jokes you've got this kind of like weasel looking flying squirrel type guy but his like wings are like fairy wings and he's his name is like tipsy i think so he's like an alcoholic like flying squirrel so he has some pretty funny lines you see him drinking like the traditional zelda red potion And Ildu's like, hey, what are you drinking there? And he's like, oh, it's a health potion. She's like, well, I've been pretty beat up. I need a health potion. He's like, well, you're going to need to be on the top of your game. So I don't think I can give you any of this. (laughs) So that's kind of funny. And then the old man who gives you the sword in the first game, there's like a guy who looks like him that pops up throughout the dungeons and gives you wrong hints. But at one point in the game, you get a fire sword that can, like, if you attack things, they catch fire. And it actually works on him. And to open a door, you actually have to keep stabbing him with it until he burns. So I thought that was pretty hilarious.
1: So would you describe the game, like, so you call it a parody. Do you mean it's more, like, comedic in nature? Like, would you describe this game as a comedy in a sense? Or is it closer to just being a game inspired by Zelda?
3: It it's definitely takes the comedy route. For sure, but all the mechanics are very Zelda, and obviously the game design and just the atmosphere of the game harkens back to Link to the Past a lot.
2: If you, if uh, guys are more interested in hearing, in a while back in the big eShop special, <laughs> which are, is, was roughly three hours long, I actually did an interview with these guys, um, and uh, yeah, it's 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 a pretty much overhead Zelda with. Pretty much a very comedic script. I played it all the way from on Steam before I talked to those guys. Uh, definitely worth playing. I'm very interested in seeing what they were going to do with the gamepad, but um, we'll see when that happens. I think it will be actually released like really soon.
3: Oh, uh, okay. Well, that's good. Um, Yeah, it's available for like. You have a device that can play it, whether. I don't think it's very demanding of a PC. So if you got a PC or a laptop, you can get off Steam. It's on iOS. It's on Android, Google Play Store. So most likely you have a device that can play it, and then it's coming out for the Wii U, so you can pick it up there. I don't know if it's available for any of the other consoles or not. Okay, so Nintendo's got the game platform exclusivity there for now. But I'm really enjoying it. It's it's definitely not as intense as, say, A Link to the Past. And I checked out some of the reviews and. I feel like people were expecting that out of it, but I don't think that's the whole focus of the game. And some of the puzzles are decently challenging. I will say it's a lot harder than Link Between Worlds, from what I've noticed with the puzzles.
1: Uh, You know what? It says $5 here on the uh, the Google Play Store. I think that's probably reasonable for a comedic Zelda-like game that's supposed to last a few hours. Sure.
2: It's also uh, uh, that game is also totally replayable. I think I played it through a couple of times and it did some different things and some different stuff happened as a result. So.
3: Uh, cool. I think I'm probably about halfway through. I just got the there's this rod that it's like the rod you get in Link to the Past where you can create blocks to move over puzzles. So I don't know if that's where that's in the game, but it feels kind of at the halfway point.
1: You got one more thing, right?
3: Yes. Uh, I actually stopped by GameStop this past weekend, got to spend a little time with Mario Kart eight.
1: Were there any people there?
3: Um there was nobody else playing Mario Kart.
1: With no attendee, it was just uh an open console. No no sign even? Uh
3: there was the Mario Kart like checkered flags over the system. This was pretty late at night. I was just stopping in. Um, While my wife was in a craft store, so I was like, I'll go check out Mario Kart. So, there wasn't anybody there. I talked to... This was at my parents' GameStop by their house, and then I was home this... On Monday, and I went to my local GameStop, and I was talking to the guy there, and he said that Friday they had the state rep for Nintendo actually present, doing, like, tournaments and giving out prizes. So it sounded like there was a good amount of people playing it then, and there was people playing it Monday when I went to, but I got to spend a good Mm -hmm. amount of time with it because there wasn't anybody really begging to play it. So I think I played all eight of the maps that were available for it, and I played through a couple different characters.
2: So what maps were on that thing?
3: Uh, It was like the Mario Stadium, the airport one, there's the one that looks like San Francisco with like the trolley cars, like toad something. Um there's the cake one. Sorry I don't remember any of the names. Yeah, uh, don't worry. There's the water park. Which is just
2: called water park, so Yes. You got at least one right.
3: <laughs> and there's like the one that kind of reminds me of the first track in Mario's cart sixty four.
2: Okay.
1: Do you like the video game?
3: Yes, I do, actually. I had a lot of fun playing it. Um. I like the new characters. I actually like the Koopalings a lot. I think Mario 3 is a big game in my history with Nintendo, so I think it's cool that they're paying tribute to those characters in a way. Even though their most recent games, their appearances have been a little disappointing. But... Actually, that was Super Mario World that they were first in, right?
1: on uh, the Koopalings. Yes. No, that Koopalings? was uh Mario Three.
3: Okay, I just want to make sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, I thought they were cool characters. I played with Um, Lemmy Koopa and Morton Koopa, and I played with Shy Guy and Lakitu.
1: Were all thirty mm. characters on there?
3: Uh, yes. Oh Everybody wow. W- it seemed like everybody was unlocked that they've mentioned is in the game, so you got to play with them. Um, I think the new items are pretty cool. I got the super horn, I think is what it's called, at the end of one race, and I was right behind um, Peach, and she was about to win the race. And then I honked that horn, she spun out, and then I like got through right at the end, got first. That was pretty awesome, and I watched the Mario TV replay, so that was kinda cool that they like, get to capture that moment, that'd be something neat that if I actually did it on my Wii U, I could post that on YouTube. So I'm pretty excited about that feature. Um, I can definitely see why some people are looking for more. Uh, Mario Kart's kinda always been about the racing for me, but the battle mode, not so much. So the fact that that's been kind of messed up for this version isn't a huge deal to me. I feel like the racing aspect of it is really good. And I actually like the zero grab stuff a lot too. I think it, you do have to think a little differently once you're in the zero grab parts. Trying to run into people and make sure you hit the bumpers. Because I think, do you eventually like slow down? To like going really slow if you don't run into anybody during this? Uh, at one no. point I was like, uh, I must, must have <laughs> let off the gas and...
1: <laughs> <laughs> Alright, uh, just one more question, and it's kind of a weird one, but uh, this game is supposed to be one of the best looking games on Wii, and I believe that based on the videos I've seen, but Nintendo has a uh, every store demo does, but Nintendo has a remarkably bad track record with store kiosks, uh, whether it be in GameStop or Best Buy. Even if the games look really good, the monitors that either the stores tend to provide them with, or they provide themselves with is the same way 83. 3 Most games, no matter how good they look, at store demos, they generally look really jaggy and really terrible. Uh, how did the game look from three feet away, using what I presume to be one of these types of monitors?
3: Yeah, I I don't think it was running 1080p. It looks 720p
1: at best. Monitor.
3: Yeah, it you can definitely tell there's more jaggies. And I mean, from like going to Best Buy and like playing 3D World and then going home and playing it on my TV, like I can tell there's a big difference there.
2: Yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah, for me, for me, it's a bit all done because I, of course, reviewed Mario Kart 8 and I infamously give it a 7.5, which um, not many people agree with, sadly. I um, would say I don't
3: necessarily agree with that, but I, I mean, I haven't played the full game, so I can't really say, but I can definitely see why somebody would give it that score. I just think the things that I look for in a Mario Kart game are pretty much there
2: right I mean it it takes most of the boxes still and that's why I so think it's a good game but it's it, it it leaves more to be desired at moments
3: sure the tracks look good and that was my biggest issue with Mario Kart 7 I just thought the tracks were pretty boring and especially when you see the same retro tracks over and over again and they haven't done anything to really change how they play but now they actually added some of the Zero-G stuff to those retro tracks, so it gets me a little more excited about the tracks. What oh, do you
2: mean with, with retro tracks all over again? They never used one retro track twice.
3: Well, I just mean playing the same track that I played in like the DS game or like the Wii game
2: oh, okay. for Mario Kart okay.
3: 7. It's just like, well, I've I played... So much Mario Kart DS and so much Mario Kart Wii. It's like, I don't really want to revisit those maps over having, like, a new map if it's going to be the exact same thing. For
2: for every new version, should include Coconut Mall. That's one new requirement for me.
3: Oh, yeah. That one is neat.
2: But, yeah. Um, Let's move on to me, then. And hopefully I can uh, do this in the right timing so we have roughly on the round. Um, So... I've been playing three things like uh, these two fellas. Uh first of all, I've been playing Inazuma Eleven Go. Um, you lucky which, bastard. Which uh, Alex is possibly very interested to talk about with me.
1: Yeah. I uh I I really wish that I would have heard about Inazuma Eleven 2 coming out in North America by now because I really really like the first game.
2: Um so as everybody knows, I'm a big fan, big fan of football or soccer in North America Um, and I like strategy games and RPGs so these games will really feel at home Um, not as much with the um, with the third entry in the series I like the first and second one those which were also on the Nintendo DS in Europe Uh, and the the original was also remade with North American voice acting on the 3DS which I feel a bit indifferent about but again I'm European so that's why Um, the third one was Kinda, kinda terrible. Um, not bad in any sense because the gameplay was really solid, but it it kind of looked not very good. And secondly, uh, the story was really, really mundane. And especially like the third spin-off one, where the plot was basically we have to destroy football to take over the world. Was that the one with the aliens? that's from from the future
1: oh okay, no yeah, that makes sense,
2: and it that was super super weird um, yeah, so that's for something uh this new um entry um is has a new cast of characters um is of course was originally released like two years ago, like two or three years ago in Japan, so it isn't officially a three d s game it 's not that we made one and uh, a to the 3DS. No, this is an actual 3DS game. Um, it has some of few of the relics from being a 3, 3DS game like two years ago. Like it's not the sharpest you will find on the system, but it, it is very, still very playable and still very enjoyable and it looks very good in 3D. Um, the strategy gameplay is still there and it, it looks better than it has ever been. And just like with most of the level 5 games that are on the 3DS, all of the cutscenes have 3D layering. Um, So actually I really like this version. It's turning out to be one of my favorites. Uh, Though one thing that is really disappointing about it is that the the, the voice acting of the new cast is far from spectacular. Like... um, if you found the European Luke's voice in Professor Late to Cockney, oh, be ready for some bullshit and Inazuma Eleven go.
1: I mean, it was over the top in the first game, at least the American voice acting was.
2: Yeah, here's the thing. There's a big difference between like the North American voice and the European voices. Um, I, I can really feel that with the North American voices, they just hired a bunch of real professional people to just do these voices and make them a bit corny. Uh, with the European voices, it's basically all British or weird accents okay so so if they have like this weird Italian name, okay, we throw an italian accent accent on this person, and that's that's pretty affluent here because like the captain of the new uh, Raman team is actually Italian okay, and like your new playable character like the the sort of follow up to mark, which is not a goalie this time it's an actual midfielder. Um has a really like really childish voice. Um, there are some really really weird f- voice choices in there. Not to say that all of them are terrible. Some of them are really you can really deal with, but the 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 ones that are bad you you kind of shudder about. Oh, so, uh, why did I choose this one? Or why did I chose this route? Wow, it, it you kind of shudder a bit about it. Um. But for the rest, it's it's a very it's a very fun game. I've been enjoying it very much so, um, and for me, it's great to finally have the proper 3DS games finally out in this in this uh, region, because those port and DS games were not fantastic. As an eShop game, they were totally fine, but as a forty or fifty euro um, European retail release, man, that's terrible. I just have one
1: question about the uh, the visuals. Do is the 3D uh, incorporated into the gameplay now, or is most of the gameplay still locked to the bottom screen?
2: Most of the gameplay is still locked to the bottom screen, and for for good reason so because it's it's very it's very good control scheme wise with that touchscreen, um, and I still feel that it should be done there. It should always be done there. It's perfect. For the walking about and doing like the actual RPG stuff it's now on the top screen.
1: Okay, so that's a little better. That's in 3D,
2: right? Yeah, that's totally in 3D. That's good. And the cutscenes, like I said, like all Level 5 games, and they've done it all brilliantly, all the cutscenes have that 3D layering as well. Good. So, overall, it's, pre- it's a pretty... Well thats it's not pretty. It's a pretty good-looking um, 3DS game for the most part. But, yeah, that's... Uh, I, I, have, I have been not far in that. I've been roughly playing it for two hours. Um, and this is more of a preview... Um, and then full previews coming later the week, but um I'm still thinking about it a lot. It's a very interesting game. Okay. Um secondly, and this is a bit more shorter, I've been playing Squid's Odyssey. Which um is a real eShop game that comes out when you listen to it, this it's already out, but for our recording it's coming out Thursday. Um it's basically like a strategy game with where you pretty much have to tap like or drag with the control stick uh, these squids uh, back and then um, throw them at other enemies and then they will attack them with how many attack power they have. And then you have a healer class and a scout class and they have all various different abilities. Um, It's a bit more simplistic in design but it's actually a really nice playing and looking game
1: what would you compare it to? Like, what's the gameplay like,
2: specifically? Like, genre-wise? Um, you, you, so, they're all f- so, the levels are basically structured that you... They're not always the same goal. Sometimes you have to explore the area for items. Sometimes you uh, go into, like, an arena where you have to defeat enemies. And you just fling them at them with um, the characters that you can level up put hats on them and use the various classes to your advantage. But is it like and a two D side scrolling game? No, it's a it's a um, it's a two D game but overhead. Okay, and it, it it's organized like in an open world and you explore and stuff. It, it's it's more closed off like closed off levels, but they are very connected in the sense that um you kind of move on to the next level and then you see a closed off that was actually part of the last one. Um so it actually feels like there is kind of a good narrative to it. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the actions that you do with the thing and the actual gameplay stuff it, are very simplistic, uh, but at the, at the stuff surrounding it is super, super fun, and the game looks really good. So would you describe it like, so it's a top-down
1: game, closed levels, is it
2: an action game? Uh, it, it's a, it's a, a, str- it's a sm- simple strategy game. It's a bit more simpler strategy. Turn-based.
1: Game. Yeah, it's turn-based. Okay, so it's a turn-based top-down strategy game. Simplistic, uh, closed levels.
2: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. It's for a couple of bucks, and it it seems like uh, these were originally all separate um, uh, mobile games or released on Windows 8. And what they've done now is they've included the first two games together in a glimpse of the upcoming game, the third game. So there's actually quite a lot of content there. And every level has three different objectives that you can shoot for, so there's there's plenty for you to do and kind of improve on your last run. Perfect. So if you want to play that, go totally do that. It's a, it's a good game. Um. Finally, and this is kind of m- more me being a bastard. I want to talk about something really dumb and stupid. Go for it. Um. So for review, I've been playing Refit music for review. A lot
1: of people have been shitting on this game, and I have no idea what it is.
2: So, I'm going to tell you exactly what Fit Music for Ryu is, Alex, and I'm going to enlighten you in the next five minutes. Perfect. So, Fit Music for Ryu is a sort of aerobics game where you have various songs, I think like 15, so not a very big selection. Um... Where you do various very simplistic moves. I'm not very healthy myself and I could do them very easily. Um, And then there's a separate aerobics mode where you can do these moves separately. So you can learn the moves for the dances. Um, To start things off. This is a 30 euros eShop title.
1: Wow. That is
2: a lot of money. This is literally... Forty euros, or in dollars, fifty bucks. Um, and then we come to the to the motion controls, which are terrible. The, the like you could complain the Just Dance all you want, but um, actually they are kind of more party-like and fun. These are downright terrible. Like really, really bad. Like super bad. And to illustrate my point, um, you can go to my Twitter and find a Vine video where I set the controller down. And this is actually the Luigi controller. This is super fitting for some reason. I put it down, and it still registers like I did moves. Oh, man. (laughs) Oh, no. And guess how much points I scored? 94 out of 100. (laughs) Damn it, video games. (laughs) I scored 95 out of 100 with doing nothing. Well, I mean, it's not an A+. They, they got to knock you somewhere. Did you
3: score better not playing, or did you score better I playing? I scored
2: better not playing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor... When I, actually, when, I, when I actually played, fifth, like 25% of the time, I actually got like plenty of bats. And most, the rest of them were just okay. And when I set the controller down, like ten percent of them were perfect. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like uh, sounds like a ten out of ten, Don. Um, but I'm not done yet with this game, like by a long shot. Uh, so, beyond these terrible controls, these terrible su- synchronization of the motion control, these terrible, terrible dances, and these simplistic moves, and a terrible amount of content. And this is, um, this is from here, it goes really downwards, brother. Wait, well, so, we're not done! No, no.
3: <laughs> not having so, to play the game to win wasn't the downfall.
2: No. So, you actually... This, this game um, uses green screen effects to have an actual person represent the moves. And... Um, there's something not everybody is technical with this, so I will explain. There's something called chroma keying that you use to make the 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 3 the 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 green screen layering perfect, and you don't see fuzzy around it or like the actual green from the green screen. Guess what they have done wrong? Sounds green, don? It's n- it's not totally green. But um, at <laughs> at some point, it's extremely fuzzy, and you see the corners of the green screen. Wow! It's, it's it, they couldn't have just hired an animator. <sighs> Apparently not. Um. So this is like the the biggest disaster I've played in a very long time. Um. Well, since um, Camaro route wide 3D on the 3DS last year. That was also terrible. Um, that was even more terrible, I think. Um, but this is a train wreck of a disaster. I've never played like a product that was this much of money be this <laughs> terrible. And my god. Just my lord. How they have managed it, I have no idea. It's the red-headed
1: stepchild of Zumba. <laughs> yeah,
2: well, Zumba, Zumba is way better than this. Just Dance is better than this because even in Just Dance when I put the controller down, it gives me access for not doing the moves (laughs) and here it just rewards me with points like I'm actually playing This doesn't sound very good Don This doesn't sound very good at all uh, I played this for two and a half hours and I want my two and a half hours back right now But you're not done, you gotta play it uh no, I actually send already sent in the review to MWR. We That's good. So people can actually read that pretty soon, I hope. Um but the short conclusion is don't play. Don't buy this as a joke. Just leave it be. Uh never touch this. If you look at screenshots, you are terrible. If you look at the trailer you'll scream Oh my god and <laughs> run out of the room <laughs> so Um
3: Is there a Am- North American release plan for this?
2: Yeah, it's coming out next week in North America.
3: Awesome. I feel like this might be funny for, like, live streaming because
1: of the chroma key stuff. It won't be 30 or $50 funny. <laughs> but, I don't know. I just think it'd be hilarious to see people playing this horrible game. Don,
2: the, the, the thought I, of me playing it for two and a half hours really depresses me.
1: I, I think you you got to put a bullet in, in this segment right now out of mercy. <laughs>
2: Yeah, this is... Um. Then again, if you want to play an actual good game, just go buy Squid's Odyssey or um, Swords and Soldiers HD tomorrow. Because I played Swords and Soldiers HD as well, and I won't say much about it because um, I already talked about that game to death. But the multiplayer, when one player can play on the splits on the gamepad and one player's on the television, is really awesome. Hooray! And that's something that 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 Mario Kart 8 doesn't do, Buzzinga. But there you go.
1: Play us out, Don.
2: I'm gonna I'm gonna stop this segment because else they're gonna be riots in the streets for all eternity about we fit for fit music for Wii U. I Um, I want to thank Alex and Edison for being here.
1: You're welcome.
2: Absolutely. And of course, we always be Fit Music in.
0: Bye-bye. Alright, that will do for episode 135 of Connectivity. As always, you can send your listener mail to connectivity at nintendoworldreport.com. And you should follow all of us on Twitter. Go to nintendoworldreport.com and look for the Twitter sidebar on the right-hand side of the page to find all of our usernames there. And, And if you'd like, stick around for a bonus segment all about Godzilla.
4: Welcome to another fun summer movie bonus segment. Uh, I don't know if I really heard anyone say they enjoyed the amazing, actually, no Wait, the amazing Spider-Man one would have only, we recorded that like two weeks ago,
0: but it, it only went in on this on week's Monday.
4: episode. Okay, so, because so, I was like, I, I asked people, uh, if you want to hear more summer movie talk, let us know, but you might not have even gotten a chance when we're recording this. <laughs> well, nobody
5: said no. So, yeah, nobody you know.
4: said no yet, so we're going to keep on doing it. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm Neil Ronahan. Next. Yeah. I'm Neil Ronaghan, and with me is Zach Miller, and we're going to talk about Godzilla. Oh yeah. Which came out uh, May 16th in theaters in America. I don't know when the international release date was. Probably earlier, because that's how the film industry works.
5: Although it's not coming out in Japan oddly until late July. Yeah.
4: So, and I don't. uh, I've heard some stuff that like the Japanese version might be different or something. Oh. But. Like in summer, like it might just be like like kind of how the original American version of Godzilla like had another character inserted into yeah. it that was American. Yeah, Raymond Burr. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, we're talking about Godzilla, uh, which was directed by Gareth Edwards, who uh, also did the movie Monsters, which is only seen. other movie. Yeah, I've never and seen it's re- that, but it's I heard really it was good. pretty good. Yeah, I heard it was pretty good. I think uh, Lauren got a T-shirt for that movie at a New York Comic Con. Really that's, that's about as much as I know about that movie, but huh. I've heard good things. I might have to go back and watch it after seeing Godzilla.
5: Yeah. They're making a Monsters 2, uh, different director, but um I thought that's interesting. The trailer launched right after Godzilla came
4: out. Oh, wow. Um say all your all the monsters talk. Uh, mm-hmm. but also in this movie, you got uh Brian Cranston. Brian um,
5: Cranston taking it up to 11.
4: Yeah, uh he's pretty aces in this movie and uh, I think it probably goes without saying Unless you want the movie spoiled, um, then if you haven't seen it, don't listen to this because we're going to, I mean, it's fucking Godzilla spoilers. He smashes some shit, <laughs> um, but there there are some plot spoilers that we will be talking about pretty shortly. So if you don't want to listen, then don't listen. Yep. Um, so Brian Cranston, although he's in an abbreviated role because he's killed yeah. off pretty early on. Yeah, he is. Um. And he got Aaron Taylor Johnson, and, Mr. Well, Kickass well, himself. Poor, poor Juliette Binoche is killed off even sooner. Yeah, but that one, that one. You know, I mean, I didn't really pay that much attention to this movie, but like, <laughs> I think I saw a snippet of a trailer and was like, "All right, she's biting it." <laughs> yeah, Lauren, exactly. Lauren had not. Lauren had not seen any trailers for this movie, and she was like, "Yeah." That first car scene with them, I was like, "All right, she's gonna die," <laughs> because it was like Brian Cranston's character looked like he had flaws, whereas the wife seemed perfect. And it was his birthday. Yeah, of course. Just like Electro. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a birthday year. I can't wait until like it's Wolverine's birthday, <laughs> and he's going back in time to his birthday, <laughs> and he's reliving his birthday, birthday. Um, but yeah, uh. Aaron so, Aaron what's his name? Yeah, Aaron Taylor-Johnson and then Elizabeth Olsen, which I thought was kind of humorous because they are a married couple in this movie. Yep. Uh and they are also going to be brother and sister in Avengers 2 next year. Yep. Yeah, which I didn't I didn't realize until I saw this movie. I didn't even know Elizabeth Olsen was in it until I saw oh, it. Oh, there
5: you go. Um So her her role is to look concerned and cry. Yeah.
4: She did she looked very concerned and she, she did, did cry.
5: She did. Yeah. I wasn't that impressed with um uh Aaron just because I think it's more how his character is supposed to be. Yeah. It's kind of like, oh, he happens to find himself in every possible situation uh that could help us see the monsters and that's the
4: whole point of his role. Yeah. I mean, cuz I've been, I've been thinking about this a lot kind of dating back to Pacific Rim last year. And uh both <coughs> you know Pacific Rim and Godzilla, I think a lot of the people that didn't like the movies had I mean I think there's there there are definitely people who like like Pacific Rim and didn't like Godzilla and vice versa and there there are probably yeah. people who don't like both. Um but like there are specific types of movies that I like I, I feel I feel kinda like I feel silly being like, Well that's how they're supposed to be with having these kind of paper thing characters, but that's kind of how they're supposed to be. Yeah. And that might not work for everyone, but for me it, it worked in both movies and I think that uh What's it, Charlie Hunnam, the the lead guy in Pacific Rim and right. Taylor Johnson both play very similar roles where oh, yeah. they all, I mean they both kind of look the same. Yeah, yeah. I mean they both have that kind of like generic like male soldier with a like bad streak in it. Oh, yes. And and then they just kind of like are there to be tough, you know, make a wise crack every now and then and huh. kind of just be a part of the story. Right. Um kind of like um I mean, a lot, uh, and so, some of this, in in a good way, reminded me a little bit of the first Transformers movie. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. Except for instead of having 18 fucking subplots going on at the same time, <laughs> it's like they just followed the army guys for the entire thing.
5: Right. And I kind of li- like that. I like that the story was so like It was very centered. focused. Yeah. Like, we're not doing any subplots. It doesn't even matter. Yeah. Just let's get to the monsters.
4: Yeah, because I think of stuff like in Amazing Spider-Man 2, how, um, I mean, this, don't worry about spoilers as much unless you want to know something that means pretty much nothing. Like, they have well, that random scene where it's, like, the two planes crashing into each other. Yeah, what was that? Like, that seemed pointless. But then again, I guess Godzilla does that a little bit where they have, like, a lot of a lot of cutaways, to like, little kids about to die and then they don't. <laughs> and, right. and a lot of those times, like, you know, that kid probably still died. We just didn't see it on camera. <laughs> I mean, it's like, just because they ran into a building doesn't mean the little girl's safe, guys. Yeah, exactly. Like, that building, we probably saw that building get knocked down five minutes later. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I I enjoyed, I enjoyed Aaron Taylor Johnson for the role he was supposed to play.
5: Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, it, yeah, I wasn't expecting anything besides what I got.
4: Yeah, and I I thought like you know, I mean, not that he's like showing all this range in this movie. But uh, like, you know, the moment with the little kid when they're on the like the on the train, like it that was kind of poignant because, yeah. you know, we did see his character as a child in the beginning of the movie and kind of see like his childhood vanish before his eyes. And he still, you know, he seems like he's a good father. He seems like he's a good person. And there's, you know, not a lot of depth shown in the movie, but there's, you know, stuff you can grab onto and kind of like you know basic things yeah uh, good character moments yeah everybody has that in this movie yeah
5: like the scene between Juliet binoche and brian cranston in their car was really well done i think yeah it, i think it really solidified the fact that they're a married couple and they love each other and yep. you know so it made her death very uh effective
4: yeah and also the i mean the kind of like um you know Complicated relationship between Aaron Taylor Johnson and Brian Cranston, yeah. the father and son. I mean, that kind of came through, and then you kind of see it a little bit with pretty much Aaron Taylor Johnson's relationship with everyone else in the movie. Yeah. I mean, e- even if his wa- even his wife to a degree.
5: Yeah.
4: But the and best character. Pair- uh, oh, on. go ahead. Go on. I, I was going to segue out if you've got. got more oh, stuff I was going to say, gonna to say. say uh,
5: Lily Allen and the uh, Japanese dude from Inception whose name I forget Ken Watanbe. Ken Watanabe uh, played uh, concerned scientists who did nothing but look concerned the whole movie. Yeah.
4: I, well, I, I liked I liked how, uh, is, it, is it Watanabe or Watanabe? I, I don't know. I, I think it's Watanabe. Um, either way, I liked how he pretty much just played the role of the viewer. When it's sure. right near the end of the movie and he's just like, let them fight. And I'm yeah, like, yeah, true.
2: yeah, that's what I want to see.
4: That's what I, <laughs> paid the money to see some fucking monsters fight. Let's go do it. <laughs> And uh, um, to
5: hi- next to him, David Statham uh, or Statham as the uh, the general. Yeah, he did good.
4: Yeah, I, I didn't didn't think he really did that much. No, I he did I felt didn't. like they spent they spent more time introducing him than actually having him in the movie. That's true. He did
5: about as much as Ken Watanabe.
4: Yeah. But uh, um, yeah, uh,
5: and then and then there are some monsters.
4: Yeah. Uh, so, what did you think of? Well, I guess kind of the first monsters that we see are the the Mutos. Mutos. Which I'm not up on my uh, my Godzilla knowledge, but Lore. those are those are pretty much brand uh, new. Yeah, they are brand new. I mean, it seemed like they might have been modeled after like a Mothra or something, but not really.
5: Not really. I think I actually think the closest you might come to uh, uh, them is the Cloverfield monster, really. Yeah,
4: yeah, they do kind of have that resemblance with like the weird legs and stuff, but um, I mean the way that the way the story is is that there's these two monsters and. They're in the Philippines. One of them seemed like it was dead, and then they ended up, like, bringing that one to Nevada or something in the desert. Yeah. nuclear waste the, facility. Yeah, and then the other one wound up going to feed on the power plant that then, you know, blows up, and that's how Brian Cranston essentially goes insane, and his wife dies. Um, it it but, goes
5: there as a larva. It burrows yeah.
4: underground and, and yeah. starts to cocoon. And then, and then you have, uh, what is it, Project Monarch? Is, which was uh, not you know, really
5: explained that well.
4: Yeah, yeah, they just kind of was like, oh, it's Project Monarch. It's a thing. Like,
5: okay. we've, we've known about Godzilla for a while, so, yeah. Uh, yeah.
4: Yeah. Um, And then, you know, there's the one monster there. Then, uh, you know, the, the male hatches in, in Japan. And then makes its way over to meet it, the female who's coming from Nevada. Yeah, it can fly, which is pretty cool. Um, And along the way, Godzilla shows up. Because he's trying to intercept the male and the female and restore balance. Right. And I really kind of, I think my favorite character in the entire goddamn movie is Godzilla. Yes. Um, They did him right. They yeah, really did. I mean, because it's just like, there's so many moments where, I mean, this is a character that he's just a giant monster. He roars and like shoots atomic fucking fire breath and that that's it. <laughs> That's really all he does, but there's and like his tail swipe, his mean tail swipe. It's it's like he's almost like John Wayne, like he's just this mercenary who's just yeah, like, that's true. you know, he he doesn't want to bother with these people. He doesn't like them, but like he's like, uh, you guys can't do this. I gotta come in and do it. Like I'm getting too old for this shit. Like yeah, that's exactly, kind of how he hates is, his job. Yeah, is that it's almost like you know, like uh, he's a Western desperado or something who's like, oh, no one else can save this old Western town. I guess I have to do it. Except for right. the old Western town is San Francisco in the modern day. Um, and I just like that. And especially the moments when they're like, you know, they have like the, the battleships and stuff that were coming from Japan that are going over to, you know, chase after this monster who's going to San Francisco, or I guess they go to Hawaii and then San Francisco. Right. Um, but they uh, don't
5: know about him yet until after Hawaii. But yeah.
4: Yeah. But, uh, but like, it's just the fucking battleships are just like right next to Godzilla. They're just all cruising in the ocean. Same speed. It's like he's almost keeping up with them, being like, well, if I leave them alone, they're probably going to die. <laughs> and they don't have to die yet. They're not doing anything to ruin the world right. yet. Um,
5: yeah, no, that was cool. Like, he, he didn't give a shit about the humans. Like, yeah. that's not his problem.
4: Yeah, and they do have the moments where, like, you know, he ends up taking down the Golden Gate Bridge, and he does fuck some shit up. But it's mostly, it's almost as if he's swatting a fly because the fly is getting in his face. And he's like, I got, fly, I got stuff to do.
5: (laughs) Yeah, that's very true. And and there's so many moments where, like, even when he's fighting the monsters, whenever he gets a break, he's kind of like, ugh. Yeah. (laughs) He just wants to sit back with a beer, man. And then a building falls on him.
4: Yeah, and he's just like, shit, I gotta gotta go back in this. (laughs) And, like, just the, the moment of catharsis. When like you know he already killed one of them near the end, and then he just goes over and fucking grabs the head of the other one and breathes fire breath down its face and then rips and then the head off. Neck off. Like holy shit, what a wonderful moment! I thought, Dude, the, I thought the monster thi- fights, the whole they, they,
5: theater like erupted in cheering
4: yeah, when that happened. Like it was so reserved because they didn't really they only teased you monster stuff throughout most of it, and when you finally see Godzilla in action, like it's it totally worked. And I, I've yeah. seen a. Uh, I know uh, we have another NWR uh Kaiju expert in James Dawson. Um he seemed kind of dismayed by that, but for me, I'd like I think if you're showing Godzilla stuff throughout the entire movie, it loses a little bit. Oh yeah, cuz you don't he, have that he, payoff. Yeah. I mean, that's what to me made Cloverfield so effective and even, you know, something like Pacific Rim, like you, Pacific Rim does kind of open with a bang, but Pacific Rim sustains the monster stuff
5: throughout. Yeah. So by the by the for me by the time Pacific Rim got was winding down, I was like, all these fucking monsters look the same. Yeah. But but Godzilla, I mean, they showed the Mutos a lot, but I think that was you know on purpose because they were a big part of the plot. But then yep. you only get glimpses of Godzilla here and there, and even in Hawaii, when you get your first good look at him, the camera cuts away. And a lot of people on the internet have been like, they should have shown that fight. But I was really happy that. The way they did it, because the way they did it was...
4: was really clever.
5: They show, they show him, and he roars, and then they cut away to the kid
4: watching TV. Yeah. And the oh. fight's happening on the news. Like, actually, I, I saw it with a friend, and we both, we both laughed when they yeah. had, like, the... Now, if you're in this area, you're probably going to get affected by the fight between <laughs> the giant monsters, like, on the news. Like, I did, like, a lot of that. I thought that was really clever. Yeah. And the way that they kind of did intersperse that, like, as a way to tell the story... Like, even the moment um, when uh, they're attacking Vegas and they just have a casino, and then on the TV of oh, the, in the casino, they show, like, you know, the Muto, like, taking down oh, the Eiffel right, Tower. And thing nobody's and, paying and attention. Taking down the Eiffel ta- Tower at uh, the Paris resort, and then just the lights go out because it's set off the EMP. It's just so many moments like that it just really worked for me because, I mean, it's almost like they, they told told and showed more with less. Yeah, exactly. Because you didn't you didn't have to go through all that expense to make this super detailed fight. You kinda show a glimpse of it and then show it through a different lens.
5: Yeah, and even even when they had Godzilla like in San Francisco, like they had so many really cool moments where you didn't it wasn't a direct shot at Godzilla like that. One of my favorite scenes or two of my favorite scenes in the whole movie were first in Hawaii when his foot comes down. And you're like, holy fuck, he's huge! Look at
4: the size of that goddamn foot.
5: And the, the other, the other scene I loved was on the bridge. You see his reflection in the school wind the school bus windows, when he's rising up, and I thought that is so cool. Yeah. Like so many moments like that. that Just that, a great
4: sense of scale.
5: Yeah, that's that sustained throughout the movie. Is like they're always reminding you how big he is. Yep. And, and you know, in the older Godzilla movies, they do that with the, you know, scale models, but not really because you're not down on the street. These are, you know, little wooden model buildings, and you just take for granted that he's bigger than they are. Yeah. And even in the 1998 Godzilla movie, which was, you know, shit for many reasons, but he changed size every scene. Yep. Every scene he was in, he changed size, so you God never God. really got a sense of how big
4: he was i haven't I haven't seen the ninety eight Godzilla since since the theaters in nineteen ninety eight you should watch it uh, i mean i've i was actually i read the wikipedia page and i I vaguely remember some of it like I remember some of the stuff near the end where it's like, oh, it re- reproduces asexually and stuff like that right but it's oh, just like God, especially I mean, like bad. i because I read that after seeing this movie, and I'm like, well, Here's an example of something that seemed to get it, and here's something that didn't fucking get
3: it at all,
5: <laughs> yeah, exactly, uh, but yeah, I mean, the sense of scale in this movie is fantastic, and then i I also like that they they held off on the big like Godzilla stuff, like usually in the Godzilla movies, he shows up, you might whip him, whoop the monster with his tail, but he usually just shoots his fire blast, and that's the end of it, yeah. But he really got into it in this movie. Like yeah. That was like his, his fire breath was kind of a last resort. Yeah. And I really appreciated that because as soon as his tail started glowing, like the whole theater was like, oh, shit.
4: I was just, and even, even I just love the moment at the end after he, you know, just like falls down and everyone thinks he's dead. But it's just like, he just killed two giant things. He's fucking exhausted. He's just <laughs> going to take a nap in the city. Yeah. And then everyone wakes up. Everyone's all like, oh, we got to save the people that are trapped. And everyone's so fucking loud, and they wake him up. And he's like, you ungrateful pricks. I'm just going to walk out of here. Yeah, like, I'm I out. like that. I mean, it's like he's like a friend who, like, got drunk the night before and and crashed on the couch. But then, like, you wake up and, like, want to watch TV. And then he just gets mad and is like, I'm just going to drive home now. I'm leaving. Not even going <laughs> to stay for bagels. Bye. <laughs>
5: And and I, I had to laugh at that scene because uh, Ken Watanabe is just standing there looking at his, his sleeping body. And then a second later, he's standing there looking at him walking away. And I saw, I'm like, he really is, just standing around looking concerned. Yeah, he's the viewer. <laughs> yeah, he is the viewer. Let them fight. Man. There uh, was some excellent... I just like that whole movie. Like, they they really did it right. It was... And, you know, people say that the characters are story are uh, paper thin, but watch any old Godzilla movie. Like, there is no yeah. characterization. The scientists look concerned. The yeah. military does shit that doesn't work. And the people who are watching the action are the main characters.
4: I mean, that's it, all they do. Yeah. I mean, it's just this was, you know, a, a summer blockbuster. That's That's what it was. And. I mean, there's something to be said about, you know, maybe trying to evolve it and making it a smarter take on it, because um, they didn't really play up too much of, you know, like, they probably could have gone around how, like, oh, global warming's causing this shit to happen, and they didn't really do that that much. Right. Um, They didn't really seem to harp on any kind of, like, the humans caused this destruction. It was more that, like, shit's happening. Like, the humans probably could have nipped it in the bud, but they didn't. Right. Like, it wasn't and wasn't any grand environmental take like some of the past stuff, but I didn't really think it needed to be like because that that, no. I mean, that subtext maybe was really potent in the original, but then he Godzilla kind of became a sideshow, and I think this right. this makes him less of a sideshow and and more of you know a force.
5: Yeah, exactly, and um, and and you're right, a force. Uh, something I noticed is whenever he was being introduced. They always had had a shot of water, streaming into wherever he was coming in. He'd be in Hawaii, or he starts out in the water in San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, but there's always he's always introduced as kind of this, you know, force of nature, and I I think that's a really that's yeah. the way he's
4: supposed to be. And I kind of I do like how that. I mean, was that something that was in other Godzilla stuff? Kind of just having like he's there to restore order. Um,
5: um. No, it, it wasn't so much that. It was more like, I guess you could say that was the way it was in the Heisei movies. In the Showa movies, after the first one, it became like, he, he's Japan's protector. Yeah. Like, he protects Japan and its people. Uh, but in the Haizai movies, starting with 1985, he's kind of just there blowing shit up because he's Godzilla and other monsters get in his way. Yeah. Uh, um. So it's more like this movie, but, but it's not really a stated, I'm here to put things in balance. Yeah. Um, so in that way, I think they really did an effective job of showing kind of both sides of Godzilla as a destroyer and also as kind of this, for lack of a better term, protector. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but I'd, you, I'd, you should watch some of the old movies.
4: I mean, they're all might. shitty, but but, you yeah. know. But I mean, that's that's kind of the point. <laughs> mhm. Um, no, I mean I, I I really dug it. Uh I I think there's like I think it did really well over the weekend. It did
5: 93 million opening weekend. That's just behind Captain America 2 and it's already been greenlit for a sequel.
4: Yeah. Yeah, and I wonder what they'll do with the sequel. They didn't really leave it wide open. I mean, they could just kind of have like more adventures with Godzilla. <laughs> um, but I wonder if they they will pull from the the monster whale, although I don't know what the rights are for everything. It's it's kind of oh, it's messy. all Toho. It's it's yeah. all
5: as long as Toho says you can. Yeah, do it. but I don't I there don't know like
4: who Toho let them use like if they. Oh, had the I see. Oh, they could else? use
5: like Mothra and like in okay. fact there there's a a teaser for Mothra in the movie. One of the in in one of Aaron Taylor Johnson's uh, childhood classrooms, they're hatching moths and one of them is named Mothra. <laughs> I did not notice that. Yeah, it went by quick, but I was like, "Oh, that's cute." <laughs> <laughs> um, they could use Mothra, that big three-headed dragon, King Ghidorah.
4: Yeah. Rodan. Kind of
5: hope they don't. I I kind of hope they keep doing original stuff.
4: Let's just have them do that Pacific Rim Godzilla movie. Like, holy shit! Yeah,
5: exactly. <laughs> well, at my my trifecta would be. Get the Gamera license, too. Yeah. It's just not, it's, that company's bankrupt. They, they don't have, I don't even think they own it anymore. Uh Get Gamera, Godzilla, and Pacific Rim all in the same room. And I think, I, I think I'd watch that
4: many times. That would be kind of incredible.
5: Do you know who Gamera is? He's a giant turtle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who okay. breathes That's fire cool. and, and.
4: Yeah, spins around to fly in a shell. Yeah. yeah, they made fun of that on South Park. That's how I know. Oh, I was, yeah. I was like, I knew there was something that parodied it. Oh, yeah, the
5: the, the old Showa uh, gamma movies are actually worse than the Godzilla <laughs> movies. They don't have the budget. And um, Mystery Science Theater famously
4: did commentaries for all of the old gamma movies, and they're just hilarious. <laughs> Um, so I guess if uh, if people saw the new Godzilla movie and they want to see more of it, is there like a specific movie that you would point them to?
5: Yeah. Uh, go watch the original 1954 movie, of course. Um, Godzilla, King of the Monsters is, is what it's called in America. But you can also see the Japanese original now. It's just called Gojira. Um, but if you can track down a copy of Godzilla 1985, it is not – On DVD, legitimately, but there are many ways to see it. There are ways. There are ways. It is maybe the most serious Godzilla movie after the first one. Uh, He is just destroying shit. (laughs) And the way they get rid of him in the end is really poignant. Uh, Really kind of sad. And then uh, Godzilla 2000 is one of my favorites by far. Um,
4: I think I've seen part of that one actually.
5: Yeah. He's got a really cool design in that movie and he, uh, is destroying ship, but he also gets in a fight with a monster kind of like this new movie. It's really good. Cool. 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 <laughs> yeah. Cool. Cool. Cool.
4: Yep. Um, so yeah, uh, let us know what you think about us doing this little summer movie bonus segment. Uh, we will, whether you like it or not, we'll be talking cool. about X-Men probably in about a week. Yeah. Um, and I'm am fucking stoked for that.
5: Yeah, tell me how that is. It's been yeah. getting I've I've I held off on reviews for Godzilla, but I read a few reviews of X Men and everybody likes it.
4: Yeah, I mean I'm I'm getting into this thing now and uh where I'm I'm trying to stop watching trailers for shit for the most part. Oh you're trying like to go the, into blackout? Yeah, like there was a new Guardians of the Galaxy trailer and like, you know, maybe I'll see that before a movie or something, but like usually in years past it would be like new trailer for a movie, I've gotta watch it right now. But I realized like I had this moment earlier this year where it was probably like January and there was something where it was like, Oh, watch a five minute clip from the new Captain America movie. I'm like, all right, that sounds pretty cool. And (laughs) I like loaded it and was about to watch it. I'm like, wait, like I'm going to see this movie. What's the point? I'm not going to watch this now. I'm going to wait. Like, yeah, maybe if I'm the fence for a movie, I'll go watch the trailer. But like for Guardians of the Galaxy, like I saw that first trailer, I'm 110% on board. That's all I needed. (laughs) Like,
5: I haven't I think, watched the second one either because yeah. I I kind of want to go in there, uh, you know, cold. Yeah,
4: and like oh, you know what? I'll, I'll probably because I I will be going to the movies fucking near weekly over the <laughs> summer. I'm probably gonna see that Guardians of the Galaxy trailer. You know, more of them, and I'll see it on TV and stuff. But like, I'm gonna try to gonna kind of try this thing where I'm not actively seeking out like every clip I can of a movie, and I've kind of yeah. done that with X Men as well. I think I've seen all the trailers, but like I stopped like a, a, like every time there's a news story or they're talking about it, like I kind of just don't want to know. Yeah, and, me too. You know, it is it is Days of Future Past. Like I've I've read that comic. I'm familiar with that story. There, I could probably, if you sat me down and were like, here are the actors and here are the characters that they are playing. What's going to happen to them? I could probably map that shit out and not be far off. Yeah. <laughs> like, guess what? Storm's probably going to die. It's just just a feeling I've got. <laughs> Um, And a lot of those other new characters that are introduced to the future, they're probably all going (laughs) to die. That's just probably what's going to happen. I don't know for certain, um, but I'm I'm really excited for that movie. Although, as kind of, uh, I think I talked about this when we were talking about Spider-Man the other week, that that I'm getting to a point where I'm a little nervous about it, that, like, they're not going to be able to pull it off. Like, there's too many characters in that movie.
5: They've only got two hours or so. Yeah.
4: Yeah, I don't know what the running time on that is, but... In about uh, a little, a little more than twenty-four hours, I'm gonna
5: uh-huh. know what's up. <laughs> it looks Man, a little uh, mystique heavy. I mean, I like I like Jennifer Lawrence in a, in a bodysuit as much as the next guy. Yeah. I mean, is she like a huge major character in the in the story?
4: Um, I think in this version, probably. Uh, okay. It is kind of funny because I was uh, wasn't like a Walmart or a Target, and I they have like all the uh, the Blu-rays and stuff on sale for all the old X-Men movies. And I was actually contemplating getting the Wolverine because they have this thing where you get like eight dollars movie cash at most oh, yeah. retailers. Um, I still haven't seen like that. I like the Wolverine a lot. I Thanks. actually, if if it's still only fifteen bucks at Best Buy, I might actually pick it up during lunch tomorrow, because huh. then I can get eight dollars. I can basically get the movie ticket paid for, Right. and then I spent seven dollars more and got Wolverine on Blu-ray. Yeah. Um. So if if there are deals and stuff in your area and you want to see X-Men. And you want to also get a really cheap Blu-ray of an older cool. X-Men movie. Just Go to, like, Best Buy or Target or something.
3: Nice.
4: Um, but I did see that, and they had, like, 'cause because it's, like, new Blu-rays of, like, you know, the first one and everything. And on the front cover of the first X-Men movie, it's, like, Mystique next to Wolverine. What? Like, it seems like, because there's, there, I saw some scuttlebutt about this, where they're talking about how, you know it seems like there's a new story every other day where it's just like Hugh Jackman's done playing Wolverine. Hugh yeah. Jackman's not done playing Wolverine. He's only <laughs> going to do it for one more movie. He'll do it for as long as he can. Like everything going back and forth and I think that probably you know the powers that be at Fox are probably like you know Hugh Jackman isn't getting any younger. He's been the face of this franchise, we should probably you know not necessarily phase him out but like we need to get ready for a post Hugh Jackman world. Probably right. like I imagine that uh, the Marvel guys are probably already planning ahead for what are we going to do when Robert Downey Jr. stops being Iron Man. I
5: was going to ex- I was gonna say that, the exact that is, same
4: thing. I mean, my money's on if they're going to kill someone off in Avengers 2, which they probably will, it's probably going to be Tony Stark. There's no yep. Iron Man 4 being discussed. Uh, he's the highest-priced actor, and he's also the the one dude who's pushing 50. That's one of the superheroes. True. And uh,
5: – and um. His buddy is gonna be in Avengers too.
4: Yeah, Don Cheadle.
5: Don Cheadle, so um, I can see a role him taking the role.
4: Yeah. Or I mean yeah. you could even probably bring in someone younger for that too. I mean, who knows? Yeah. Um but but going back to X Men, like it seems like they are kind of pitching, you know, Jennifer Lawrence's Mystique as, you know, like the new face of the franchise.
5: Yeah, that's true.
4: Because I think I think uh I think they kinda of realize that like, you know, Xavier and Magneto, like they're they're stable but they're not, like, the exciting character. They're also extremely old. Yeah. Oh, you You got McAvoy and Fassbender. <laughs> right? Yeah, true. But as far as I'm concerned, McAvoy and Fassbender are fucking gold. Yeah, like, they are, um, especially I mean, Fassbender. Yeah, I mean, just the, any scene with the two of them in first class is fucking electric. Yes. Um, But, like, those characters, I mean, I guess they're not, like, sexy characters. And I guess Mystique is a sexy character, you know. Well, I don't I mean, know about, well, oh, no, man, character. Fassbender. Oh, mm. well, yeah, but... Fastbender yeah. is a Fastbender is a babe, but <laughs> but it seems like they are pitching Mystique to be kind of the face of the franchise, and I just, yeah. I mean, I guess there is depth to that character, but like not as much.
5: Uh, and and something bugs me about Mystique in the movies. Like in the comics, she actually wears clothes. <laughs> yeah. In the movies, she's always blue, which just means she's always naked.
4: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think they do show her. I mean, it seems like, I don't know, it's been a while since I've seen X-Men First Class, and I guess I'll, you know, see how they do it in the movie, but...
5: Oh, every time she gets in clothes, it's, it's a scale-changing, metamorphosis yeah. thing. Yeah. So she's still naked. Yep. But, hey, like I say, Jennifer Lawrence in a bodysuit, I'll watch that.
4: Yeah. And Rebecca Roman in a bodysuit. Oh, also, watch Even that. better. Yeah. <laughs> Um, And on that note, I think we're going to wrap this up. Uh, (laughs) If you saw Godzilla, hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we'll talk about X-Men in like a week or two.
1: Bye. Bye.